0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Paperplane Productions founder Alon Aranya about his latest series for Apple TV Plus and Showtime and why Covid has opened up opportunities for international drama. And Michael Clement, co-founder of new multimedia climate change outfit Global Environment Media. LA-based Israeli producer Alon Aranya has built a successful career taking local, non-English language shows and developing them for a global audience. In 2017, he set up his own company, Paperplane Productions, to help him achieve this. His latest launches were Israeli dramas Tehran for Apple TV+, and Your Honor for US CableNet Showtime. He spoke to Karolina Kaminska about these and his upcoming Slate, what he looks for in local IP and how the COVID-19 pandemic has helped non-English language shows gain global recognition.
1: Well, I started working on Tehran more than a few years back, and um, I launched my new company, uh, Paper Plane Productions, in, around 2017. And the purpose of it—I've been doing a lot of adaptations in the U.S. of uh, foreign formats—and I really wanted to start getting out there and producing shows outside the U.S. for the international market. And Paper Plane Productions was set up to do just that. And one of the first projects that we, you know, that we were Send was Tehran. Um, And it was just an early development, uh, but it had a script. And, uh, you know, I I read the script, and of course, there was more work needed on it. But uh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the idea of of doing this show about uh, a female Mossad agent, hacker that goes in to do a job for the Mossad, but it all goes kind of wrong. And she ends up going rogue in Tehran. And that's sort of like my eyebrow was sort of going up and going, wait, I want to see that. So that's kind of how it started. And, you know, my involvement as an executive producer was, you know, initially two fronts, which was uh, helping to develop the show and then working with the writers to develop the show. And then of course, financing the show uh, as well. Uh, Because obviously the show was more expensive than the local uh, Israeli production uh, license fee. And the show, I think, uh, well, we were successful in doing it. And of course, Apple TV came on board and uh, have been great partners and getting out the show worldwide and you know i think the, sh- the 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 show is successful uh for many reasons it's first of all a show that you know just goes from the minute you press play on the first episode there is like no exposition on this show it's really uncommon it just the it, you start on the action you know and and i think people have this uh, idea that they're going to check it out and i know a lot of my friends um and colleagues had the same experience where they were like okay let check this out and and they tried the show and they could not stop watching the show and and so part of it is is obviously because of uh, of how intense it is and how exciting and and tension filled it is um, so that's on the one hand, I think all the viewers around the world just have the same kind of bingy reaction to it which is oh my god I can't stop watching this uh, it's very addictive but the other great thing about it and a successful thing that that has been a great source of pleasure for all of us is you know, the success of the show of of portraying uh, people on both sides of the conflict and humanizing them. So if you take the character of Faraz, you know, the um, Iranian head of security, you know, he, you know, he's a fantastic character that people around the world absolutely fall in love with. He's this really interesting and humanized, like supposedly bad guy, but he's not, you know, you really come to like him and you realize he's just working as a part of a system and he's a patron uh, and that's all he is, you know, uh, and he's no real bad guy. So the show is very successful in trying to show both sides of, of of the conflict and just really focusing on what connects us as human beings and why are we also the same. And there's a great history between Iran and Israel dating before, you know, the 79 revolution. Uh, these countries were very close. Uh, we had nonstop flights from Tel Aviv to Tehran. Israeli companies worked in Iran. So, uh, there's a whole history that this show is based on. And I think now it's all coming out and people are truly enjoying the presentation of, okay, it's, it's a thriller. Uh, it's a political thriller. It's a thriller on the one hand, but really it, it's there to to kind of show something else and, and to show uh, hopefully what's going on in Iran a little bit, but hopefully how connected we all are.
2: So, uh, Apple TV Plus is one of the more recent streaming platforms to have launched. How has it been working with them?
1: Well, um, it's been great. First of all, I think they've been doing a an amazing job with Tehran. Uh, It's been visible everywhere. People are talking about it everywhere. I get emails from around the world of people watching it. So no doubt it's been one of the, I believe, very successful titles for them. Uh, My company also, Paper Plane Production, is now under a first look deal uh, with Apple TV+. And uh, that's been a fantastic experience as well, just as Apple now is really growing and and, and is spending, you know, uh, additional money on growing on content, you know, I think it's a great time to to be working with them, not only on Tehran, but really uh, on, on what will be a bunch of uh, new shows that we're putting together. So it, it, it is very exciting. It is a worldwide platform and it has that same, you know, accessibility like Netflix in the sense that instantly you're at, you're in like 135 or 140 countries. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to to see, you know, the next several years uh, over there because I think there's going to be tremendous amount of great content coming out of Apple TV.
2: And the next show is Thriller Your Honor for Showtime in the U.S., which is adapted from an Israeli TV series. Tell us about that show and your involvement there.
1: Well, um, with your honor, I, I sort of had the same experience. I, I produced a show uh, and, and adapted a show myself and wrote a show called Hostages uh, several years back in 2013. And what I did there was I started the process when the show was still in development in Israel. So I took on the show and, and wrote it and wrote the adaptation early on. And the, the great story about Hostages was that Hostages was made uh, the American remake was made before the Israeli original because we were working at the same time of development. So it became like this uh, Cinderella story. This is uh, a little bit of the same here. I did not write the adaptation in the case of Your Honor, but uh, but the, the satellite company in Israel, yes, that produces the show and also produces Fauda, sent it to me uh, when it was still a script too. And, I, and they were getting closer to production. So they had a bunch of scripts and I started reading the scripts. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. I I thought, wow, this is sort of like the Israeli version of the night of in some kind of sense, you know, but it was totally Israeli. Yet I, when I read it, I thought this cannot be more universal. I mean, the concept here is just absolutely gripping and it's quite universal. You know, a son of a judge that is involved in a hit and run where the other boy is killed. uh, And it turns out that that boy is the son of a very big mobster, so now the judge has to cover up uh, the crime of his son. Otherwise, his son is, is at risk of being killed himself. So it, it is a very uh, tense concept. And, and that started several years back when I read those scripts in Israel. And uh, I came back to the U.S. and I, and I said, I, wanna, I, I really want to make the uh, English version uh, remake of this. And I came back to the U.S., but I really had nothing to show. There was no format. You know, there was some uh, scripts in Hebrew uh, that I could read. But uh, so we didn't translate them yet. What I did uh, was just sort of put up uh, my pitch or like a three-page pitch uh, of of the exciting what I thought was exciting about the show. And I remember I you know I reached out to Robert and Michelle King, um, which I've never worked with before but thought they would be perfect to come on board and co-produce this. And together, you know, we can brand the show and and bring uh, who I thought should be writing it, Peter Moffat. And I was warned uh, in advance that, you know, that they have particular taste and and most times they just prefer doing what they want to do. But I gave it a shot anyway. I thought, you know, for some reason, I can really see this coming together this way. And I pitched them the show and and they came on board. And when they asked me, who do you think should write it? I I thought, uh, well, Peter Moffat should write it because it really felt like it exists. In, in, in his world, given that it felt very much like the night of. And this was pitched to Peter uh, also over the phone uh, when he was in London. And and after a couple of minutes of hearing the concept, he was like, oh, I'm in, you know, completely in. So uh, oddly enough, these set of fantastic uh, creators, uh, writers and producers came together very quickly on this concept. It didn't take like uh, months and weeks of chasing somebody. It, it was really amazing. Uh, uh quick and everybody got it and by the way when that happens you you sort of have that you know you have to sort of have that idea something really great is happening here and it's happening here because the story is that clear to everybody right they get what i'm getting right they, they got the same thing and so after everybody came on board we we translated all those scripts you know from israel and then they read the the actual scripts and they love the scripts but we started our development also before the show was produced in Israel, you know, I mean, before the show was completed uh, in Israel. So uh, now there's a, obviously the Israeli version and now we have the American version. But it started early on as well. For me, I, I sort of identified this thing when it was still in development because it was that strong.
2: On top of Tehran and, and Your Honor, you have adapted and developed, I think, three other foreign language series, Hostages, which you which you mentioned, which originated in Israel and, and, and you developed it for CBS in the U.S. Um, and also Dutch show. Red Window and Betrayal for ABC. How do you go about identifying foreign language IP that you think will work internationally?
1: Um, you know, I, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, there isn't one answer to that. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a combination of what I like uh as a producer as a storyteller as a writer and even if i'm not the one writing the adaptation but it's still you know is this a story i really want to see is this a story i want and that and that has to do with taste and has to do with style and you can see by the way if you look at a lot of my shows including your honor uh including hostages including red widow and betrayal a lot of them are, are are basically like these very um, uh, layered um, family dramas, right? That are coupled with this high concept or with a twist, and and I really love that. So you can see that that repetitive sort of pattern, and, and in these stories that are a lot about the core of them is really a family drama, but it's weaved together with a crime story, with uh, with an action story, whatnot. So it's 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 uh, not that I'm always looking for that at all, and I'm certainly developing shows that are outside of that. But it, I think. It, it, for every producer, it starts with, what do you care about? What is the stuff you like? What is it, what are the kind of stories you want to tell? And so for me, it, it's both these kind of family dramas and also political stories uh, that I'm very uh, drawn to as well. But I think like when I look at Your Honor, my experience with Your Honor, with hostages as well, it's the same thing that it's that idea that when you hear about the idea the first time, it rings this like really strong bell, you know, and that's sense that you understand that you may not know all the show yet, or it's not all in place. But that idea just, you know, rang this tremendous bell (laughs) in your head, and you should be paying attention to it. And it might sound a little broad, but it's true. It's sort of, it's so true that, you know, everywhere I went since and I pitched your honor, just to even, you know, to students uh, and campuses, and I gave them sort of like the very couple minutes of a pitch, you know, what the show was, they were all like amazed of how, how strong the pitch was. So to me, it's a lot about the strength of the pitch, and really the idea that is: can we make a show out of this? Is this a show that can really be multiple seasons with a lot of episodes and a returnable show? So those are the kind of things that I'm, uh, you know, attracted to. And it's not one genre, but um, but mostly I tend to work with grounded shows.
2: And when you have identified local IP that you think could work on a global scale. Um, what, what what sort of process do you then go through to try and make that happen?
1: Well, you know, my, uh, with regards to remakes, uh, you know, again, remakes um, of formats is really about making a show. It's making a new show. And one of the things that I always say, and I say it, you know, everywhere I go, is that remakes uh, is really the, is the work of a producer. You know, it, it's the work that should be left to producers in the sense that producers are the ones that make shows, you know? They take in a concept, they take in a book, they take in, you know, whatever it is, a a, a play, and they turn it around and they bring the elements to it. Uh, What happened with remake rights, also format remake rights, is that uh, over time, you know, they were coupled together also with the tape rights, right? With the original titles rights. And so you had many types of entities dealing with these rights. And so even if a distributor had them or an agency or whoever it was, they could be very helpful in setting them up, but they still have to go to a producer, (laughs) you know, to actually make it happen. So I always say, you know, we call it a remake make, but it's really just about making a show. Uh, It's making an American show. So now you have to go out there and really put it together and find the writer and and find any other elements that will advance what we call this package, you know, around this title. Uh, The fact that it's a format uh, most times really helps because there's this idea that okay, we're not starting from scratch. There's a blueprint here. There's you know, there's possibly more than a blueprint. There's possibly a lot of uh, moments that could be used and could be adapted so there's a strength to working with formats and that strength needs to needs to be translated into a package that looks something like the package of your honor you know if 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 you're doing your job right so that that's the hope is that you know the material is going to be strong, and the presentation of the material will be strong. That you'll be a- actually be able to bring in a group of great talent, uh, like we did on your honor.
2: So, what, in your experience, does it take for a local format to have global potential?
1: You know, it's it, there's no one thing. I think it's about it's about the universality of it. Uh, I, I feel, and 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 again, sometimes it, sometimes it's all there to begin with. Like I think your honor, you can see your honor. Was sold already to a bunch of countries, right? It's being remade in France and in Germany and Italy and Russia. India already did it. Um, so clearly you see the strength of having a, a one liner and a story ultimately that is completely universal. Um, so that's really interesting to me that, that your honor could be completely Israeli on the one hand when you, when I read it initially and, and, and you see it on Israeli TV. It's an Israeli show with Israeli characters, but there's really nothing Israeli about it at the same time. And it's completely universal. So I think we're always looking, if you, if you look at hostages, It was about a family that the mother is a doctor and she's about to operate on the president of the United States or the prime minister of Israel. And the night before the operation, she is taken hostage with her family in their house and the captors tell her, okay, tomorrow in the operation, you will kill the prime minister or the president of the United States or we will kill your family, go, (laughs) you know? And so it's sort of like, when I heard that pitch the first time, you know, bells rang in my ears. It's like that kind of concept is supposed to work everywhere. You know, it's not just, oh, a lawn likes it. It's like, no, everybody wanted to see that concept. It feels like a grand movie uh, now brought into, you know, uh, the space of a TV show. So it's a lot about their universality. And I think you can feel that just by, from the core concept of them. And so sometimes you have this brilliant and many of these brilliant shows that are completely local, but when you strip the names off of it and you strip the actual, you know, Locality of it, and you just look at the actual story. You know, you're like, wait a minute, there is really nothing local about this. There is nothing local about, uh, you know, a married woman who meets a man and 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 falls in love with, and it turns out he's the lawyer that's uh, up in a murder trial against uh, her husband. You know, who's the other lawyer, and <laughs> she's caught in a triangular love. So it's sort of like that's how you get to universality. It's it's these stories that are invented by human beings everywhere on the planet and eventually have to dig out you know from that story uh, the the universal element of it in order for it to land I think also on American writers and American showrunners and
2: I believe you are currently in development on two new shows for Apple under your first look deal can you talk about those and when we can expect to see them launch
1: I unfortunately cannot speak about the new shows yet but we have really exciting uh, shows that we're uh, working on with Apple and we also have uh, exciting shows that I can actually talk to you about that uh, are not uh, with Apple, but uh, a show that is a Dutch show, an original Dutch show. So that remember that was part of Paper Planes' whole agenda is to go out and start producing co-productions. And Tehran was the first one, and the other show that got to us early on uh, was Bestseller Boy, uh, an original Dutch show based on an a, on a Dutch novel that we set up through a previous deal that we were at with CBS Studios International. So we set that show up with them and it's a co-production of cbs and the public broadcaster the dutch public broadcaster the npo and paper plane productions and so we are in full development of that this show will be uh going into production in early summer of 21 that show by the way is uh is a fantastic concept about a young dutch moroccan writer uh who has his first debut novel and it becomes a huge hit but unfortunately he wrote about his family in the moroccan community and now they're all turning their backs at him because he, you know, embarrassed them in public whatnot. And it's a lot about identity and where does, it, where does this kid belong now that his book is successful, but, you know, he's sort of betrayed his community. And it's, uh, it's a lot about this generation of immigrants or the sons and daughters of, of, of the immigrants who came to Europe. And it's sort of like this fun California-cation type of show uh, set in Amsterdam. So it's a really fun Amsterdam show. You're on these uh, <laughs> bikes in the canals and, and uh, hanging out uh, in, in these episodes. So completely different type of show than Tehran, but also a wonderful sort of show from Europe that is very contemporary, very universal because of the themes that it, it it's really dealing with. And yet set in Holland, set in Amsterdam, and completely Dutch 100% Dutch So uh, once again you know just trying to create these shows out there that are local on the one hand but on the other hand you you feel with every bone of your body how universal they are
2: You've obviously got a lot going on at the moment on your slate. How is all that being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? And how are you getting around COVID-related restrictions in each of the territories that you're working in?
1: It's uh, I've been really one of the luckier uh, producers with regards to that because we finished the production on the first season of Tehran like in February. Uh, so like really two minutes before COVID broke out or before we knew it was breaking out and everything was shut down. So we managed to get Tehran done which really I think gave Tehran a big advantage when it went out to the marketplace uh, during COVID in the spring. And then Your Honor was successful in, uh, well, on the one hand, we shut down production in March, but we were successful in getting back into production in September. And despite the fact that we had a few cases of uh, positive COVIDs uh, in our crew, uh, it wasn't severe and it didn't didn't cause us to shut down for long periods of time. So we were very lucky and we just wrapped um, on, on episode 10, so we're all like, whew, got out of there, you know. And, and luckily, the next set of shows that we are producing, well, um, is it, set to go into production in the summer of 21. So if we are reading the, you know, reality, right, we should be hopefully in, in a semi or a mostly vaccinated uh, environment at that point. So I think that having gone through production uh, during COVID, it feels like next summer is going to be probably a little easier, hopefully. Uh, so I personally, did not really feel the issues with it. And I managed to sort of uh, uh, work my shows through it, but certainly a challenge and and also a challenge for the entire development ecosystem, because I think buyers have been buying less in 2020 because, you know, their pipelines were sort of stuck and they're not going out to production. So there's no point of buying more and more stuff. I mean, they were still hearing pitches, but they could allow themselves just to focus on exactly what they wanted and not buy anything extra. And so, so I think that's been a challenge in trying to understand like, okay, how big is the appetite out there and what kind of stuff, you know, do they want at any given point? So there's been t- challenges definitely with COVID, uh, but also a lot of opportunities uh, like with any uh, uh, particular situation. But I feel like as we roll into 2021, I think the first part of it might be, you know, similar, but certainly like from the summer moving forward, I think we're going to feel a different environment.
2: What are the opportunities then that, that you see from, from everything that's been going on?
1: Well, well, I mean, it's early in 2020. I think there were opportunities with content because you had uh, a lot of these streamers uh, really having a problem with, with uh, new content, you know uh, it's amazing how once you shut down production how everybody, all of a sudden you realize, wait, they didn't have, it turns out 20 shows in the back room, <laughs> you know, to pull out. Uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how it, it brought uh, many of these uh, platforms to a real need uh, very quickly. So essentially, you know, again, I think Tehran, besides being a great show, it was also at the right place at the right time, and it could fulfill a bigger need than possibly even bef- in, in normal days, right? Uh, and uh, and I think it did fulfill. It, fulfill like, it fulfilled not the slot of like, oh, this little international show, let's take it on. Like, this is sort of like a new 24, a new homeland-ish, you know, experience for the world uh, done through Tehran so it's fulfilling a bigger place in the uh, content ecosystem than maybe it would normally do as a show that 50% of it is in Farsi, you know um, so again you have to remind yourself that as I was remember I was uh, I remember I was sitting at home watching the NBA Finals and there was a commercial break and there was a spot for Tehran and I was like ha! Huh? You know, I I just couldn't believe that a show in Farsi is, you know, is getting uh, (laughs) spots on the NBA finals. So that's really part of not only COVID, of course not. It it has to do with the TV marketplace. It has to do with how fantastic Tehran is. But I also think that COVID sort of uh, opened up the minds of American buyers to begin with and global buyers that they can seek their big global hits somewhere else. And not only through only American fare. And, and that's interesting to me that they went outside and like, OK, what can we buy from the world, you know, uh, because our pipeline is kind of shut down. So, so to me, that by itself is really interesting. And it's showing where the direction that we're going in, which is the next global hit can come from any country, essentially, if done right and if it's the right thing at the right time. So there's no one country that is really, you know, overwhelming uh, uh, with its content, but it really is. A diversified portfolio, the, the more we, we look in the years to come. And that's exciting for anybody making drama anywhere, really.
0: Alon Aranya, talking to Carolina Kaminska. Michael Clement is a media veteran whose credits include stints as executive producer of ABC News Programming, CNN and executive vice president of Fox News. He was also the chief executive of Newsmax Television and now, together with a group of influential entrepreneurs, philanthropists, conservation and media experts, he's established GemTV, a not-for-profit, environmentally-themed multimedia operation aiming to inspire change. He spoke with Clive Whittingham.
3: My name is Michael Clementi. I'm the executive producer of the Global Environment Media. And I'm a uh, product of several decades of work running uh, parts of ABC News in New York, uh, CNN and Fox, and a lot of uh, other clients, Wall Street Journal, a little bit of work for Twitter and Amazon and some others. So now I'm on the most important thing I've ever done, which is saving the globe. <laughs>
4: Uh, no small um, no small mission statement for a, new, for a new venture, that one. What is it for people that won't be aware?
3: You know what? It's, it's a little different than, uh, I think, anything that's out there in this space, Clive, which is to say, when we started to put this together a couple of years ago and looked at the landscape, you know, there's a lot of media out on the environment. There has been for a long time. I mean, Earth Day, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day was last year, although, you know, COVID interfered with the execution of it. But it's almost all about everything that's gone wrong. And a lot has gone wrong, for sure. But there was very little on, you know, what's been done and what is being done and what's the potential for for fixing things. So we thought we would take that tack, not to ignore what's happened, but to focus on what can be done. And it, and it kind of fit with the activity in social media that kind of bypasses, in many cases, or integrates or bypasses is government and business, where people kind of arm themselves with what they need to do. Because we also found, you know, environments always kind of in the top three or five or 10 when you ask people what they care about or when you ask media organizations or even politicians what they care about. But it, it doesn't rank number one unless you get to a critical Exxon Valdez spill or the BP Gulf of Mexico or some horrible event. And again, that just brings back, you know, what's going... Going on that's ruining the earth. And, uh, you know, we thought it was time to give people the tools themselves to kind of do what they want to do. Most people, and forgive the long answer here, Clive, right off the bat, but we found that most people want to do something if you ask them. But outside of maybe buying an electric car or using a paper straw or putting, you know, a Coke can in the right bin, they don't quite know what to do. So we thought really what we're trying to build is a mixed media, multifaceted presentation But a giant communication link, so that we can connect people with those who are doing something that may not have any much of a reach on their own, and those people who want to do something and just don't know where to start.
4: Would you describe it as as a streaming platform, or a a website, a movement, or all three? Well,
3: it's yes, it's all three. Right now, at launch, it's a website. We have hours and hours of video on there already, but we want it to be accessible to anyone, whether they're on their phone or through their Apple Watch or on a PC or they're listening in the car or whatever, but to launch, you know, we need a website. There's plenty of video to stream on there. Once we get a little more scale on the stories that are being done to show across all the continents, you know, the positive change, then we'll go more into streaming on some of these OTT platforms and maybe even in a a streaming cable format. But I think the best way for this to be the most useful to people is to have it, you know, I kind of have compared it to folks who have an apple watch or a samsung watch or something where they're now monitoring their you know not just their email and their text messages and their tiktok videos but also maybe their heartbeat and their weight or you know other things that matter and I, what i want to do is kind of embed into that culture so that they can be monitoring their eco footprint each day and the decisions they make without necessarily even being aware that here's a moment of a decision if you choose a over b by the end of the day you could measure your footprint print and see what you're doing and, you know, feel better about yourself and maybe share with others. So we'll hit everything. Right now, it's the website to start.
4: Tell me about the content, the video content that you've got on there and what direction you want to uh, go in uh, video content wise.
3: We've got contributions from around the globe. And, you know, there. I don't think there's a person we've contacted who shot things, whether it's an individual or an organization that when we told them what we're doing, hasn't said, you know, put it out there because it's great to put it on youtube but as you know you can really get lost in a sea of other things when you go to something as big as youtube so to have a single vertical that has these stories uh, we've put them in nine different categories so you know if you want to find out about water or sustainable ideas or whatever that you could go in by a certain category there some of the videos are less than a minute and some of them are you know we have stuff that's eight minutes 15 minutes or longer and what we're looking for in fact i just got to, you know, I get emails all the time because once we launched this and the name started to go out across all these, not just the normal social media engagement tools, but things like LinkedIn and otherwise I've had friends from the businesses I've been in who somebody sent me a story today about an ambitious new effort uh, in Johannesburg about cleaning up the streets in Johannesburg. And there's nothing entirely new about organizing people to clean up the messes they've left behind already, but it's just nice to see, you know, these little things pop up here there and everywhere and of course most of them can shoot their own material and send it in and then we put it together and send it back out to people so
4: moving forward uh, once like you say it's a website at the moment but there's potentially going to be a streaming element to it is there an opportunity there for producers of natural history content and wildlife content to come and work with you guys
3: there is you know what the the thing i missed that i knew i had a little marble rolling around in my head was that what we're really looking for is yes what you just described but also things that would be genuinely new to people. You know, not that this is a news operation, but there's a certain uh, energy that you capture when in the initial startup of the past year, we've I found stories about a guy that had developed mushrooms that eat plastic. You know, we focused a lot on plastic and the, the story of plastic is, as I'm sure you know, people have Poland spring water bottles and every sort of water bottle and the plastic is used for about three to five minutes and then it lives on for 500 more years. So we either have to figure out how to reuse it, which you've seen, this has been going on for years, park benches and picnic tables and otherwise, but also um, this guy, as I said, grew mushrooms that actually eat the plastic and the plastic goes away. Someone else in Africa found a way to cut the plastic bottle in half, put something natural inside and it created light that would last almost like a solar light for several hours into the evening. So, you know, what we're looking for is, yes, wildlife, you know, even animals coping with changes. Changes in nature, but uh, we want to kind of help fuel the movement of let's not just say business needs to do more. Let's not just blame the politicians because, yes, they may or may not have environment on their list of things to do, but take it into your own hands and do what you can. And I remember, this is just one little anecdote, but I remember being quite young in the U.S. and there was a TV campaign about not littering. People in the old days, I guess they would drive along, they'd eat a McDonald's meal and they would just throw the, you know, the wrappers out the window and no one thought much of it. And there was a campaign about putting things in a proper bin, you know, instead of just out along the highways. And uh, I think if we do this right, again, it's been on the tip of everyone's tongue for a while now, but I I think I can picture, you know, children and even people, teenagers and people in the 20s and 30s sort of pushing the content up through their, uh, their parents and their grandparents to say, look, here's what somebody's doing, you know, maybe they're do it in Japan, but we need to do it here in London or New York or otherwise. So um, really, I w- if, if there was one word for it, it would be new. What's, what's going on out there that's new? And, and what are you doing? And, or watch others, you know, and, and share these stories with other people. Because here's the one other point, have, again, forgive me for going on, but one of the things I found, having been only a part-time environmental person, just like everyone else, when I started talking to some of the experts, I learned that all the damage that's occurred in the last 50 years, which was the start of Earth Day, there was damage occurring long before that, but it started to accelerate. All the damage of the past 50 years can be reversed, completely reversed in the next 50 years. And the technology for doing that already exists. Now, and if you know that, and of course, no, there'll be other technologies that come along because things are happening fast and wide. It gives gives you a sense of hope that, wow, this isn't, you know, again, what I see on the news is more hurricanes and, you know, everything is about... the earth is a mess and that we need to do something about it. But we're trying to tap into what's being done and what can be done and let people move the ball forward with better communication and seeing what it is that can be done on these videos.
4: Who is the target audience for this? Is it is it, uh, is it a young audience? And like you say, they can feed up into an older audience. What's the, what's the demographic? I, that think so.
3: I think the target's going to be kind of 13 or 14 year olds up to probably those in their uh, late 30s, or early 40s. When I say target, everyone's the target, but you know who's going to use it the most and who's going to have the most impact? And I would say they're going to because they'll be you know super spreaders of the information where older folks might go, oh, that's interesting. Now I get it. Okay, let me get some paper straws or let me think twice about flushing the toilet 18 times today or whatever it is that, that can be done. You know, this business is three quarters of the problem, if you will, and potential solution. So to the extent we can reach into older folks who may have influential positions in business. I'll tell you, here's one little sidebar. Whether a business wants to behave properly or not or is being forced to. One of the other things we found out are some of these big funds in New York and I'm sure in London too that back these big companies, they've started to get enough shareholder pressure where they're pulling back or down or withering their investments in companies that don't have a positive action plan for their ecological footprint. So that alone is gonna, you know, drive things forward. But you know the target audience is is what I said, you know, people that consume media share it and probably Probably would embrace the idea that I said at the beginning of you know imagine having the, the watch on your arm giving you your footprint each day and instead of just I walked ten thousand steps and I lost half a pound here's how I did better by the environment by having some new knowledge.
4: How are you going to draw that audience in and keep it uh, in, in what is a is a very competitive environment? Even obviously very worthy message, but how do you, how do you bring the audience in and keep them
3: there? You know we're doing a lot of social media. We're going to keep the videos short and we will give people the opportunity to see the longer versions of it. But I think if we can just insert ourselves with positive, short, actionable items, and I mean, if we we could peel two and a half minutes out of a lot of people's day in the first year or two and see the numbers increase, all I want to do is hit enough people for two to three minutes and see the numbers increase, knowing that they're sharing, you know, if one out of 10 of them is sharing the video with their friends, I'll feel like we're doing the right thing by getting the messages out and you know we'll be able to measure it every which way from sunday but it's one of those things it's interesting because it's it's free and there's no downside to it and there's no pain and again it's been a couple of almost two years in the planning and it's one of those things where whenever we talk about it with friends and family and others they go oh good i want to join that let me look let me see let me see what's up now there's a difference between that and people actually committing once a day to look at a video but you know so far so good we're sending out little clips and we'll send out more and maybe you and I can have this discussion again in 6 months or so and see how we're doing
4: how is it funded and backed if it if it's not a subscription model or or advertising how uh, how do how are you paying for it
3: investors and donors at this point and we will do some we don't have any yet but we will do uh i don't know what the right word is sponsored content and it'll be marked as such you know some of the big companies especially the oil companies have done a lot and they've been putting ads in magazines and elsewhere Uh, i think we'll have some of them or many of them perhaps and clothiers and others who want to showcase what they're doing probably in a more granular way for this very specific audience
4: besides yourself who else is involved in this it's quite a list of executive names that people may recognize can you can you run us through who else is involved with you?
3: Christian Moore, who's uh, he and Vincent are the top dogs there. Christian has been, he's a Brit, but he's been a resident in Monaco for quite some time. Uh, he got a commitment early on from Prince Albert and his foundation to back this up. Uh, Vincent runs a, mul- a multimedia company called Moby Base out of Nice, which is not too far away. And he's been uh, a market leader in Europe and he's also worked in Asia in terms of building these kind of multimedia presentations. Dennis Kucinich, who outside of this country may or may not be known, but he started as a politician in Ohio as at a very young age. He was in Congress for many years. He ran for president twice. And he's an independent, he's a Democrat by signature, but he's a uh, very free-minded, free-spirited, open-minded fellow who has contacts all over the place. And especially in this space, he, he drove quite a bit of environmental law, you know, when he was on the Hill. And his wife, Elizabeth, who's also been deeply engaged in environmental matters. And then beyond that, you know, a a subgroup that knows what to do, you know, in terms of cutting editing video and sharing and social media and so forth. Christian Moore, by the way, has a little bit of cachet in this country and probably where you are too, because his father, Roger Moore, was one of the premier 007 figures until his passing a few years ago. So I think, you know, it doesn't hurt because there are any number of actors and other celebrities who have been deep in this environment space and, and no Christian just by, you know, through his dad and his family and his two older brothers.
4: For people that are watching, that are listening to this, producers of content, either individuals or production companies that want to come and work with you, uh, how can they do that? What sort of content are you in the market for? How, how's best to get in touch with you? Just how can people come and get involved and work up with you on this?
3: Well, go to the site. I mean, we're the door's open. There are several people on the receiving end, myself included. There's a, a link on the site with the address, email address. The site is gem global environment media dash tv.com and uh, it is very easy accessible points and we're really open you know you don't have to have a fully baked idea. If you have an idea or even an interest call up and you can speak with me or you can speak to Vanessa or you know whoever else answers the phone or we'll get back to you on email. We're just looking for you know anything interesting anything you might be doing even if you teach a class and you've taught third graders what to do about how to save water. One of the investors early on she didn't look old enough to have grandchildren, but she said, I'm forever telling my grandson to turn the water off when he's brushing his teeth and he won't do it. And I said, Well we just need to do a little video, have him brushing his teeth standing next to a swimming pool full of water and say, Listen, son, this is the amount of water you're, you know, using across this year. So I think if we bake these things into people with strong visuals, they'll have impact. And we're open to, you know, something as simple as that. I mean if you can spend time on tiktok you know dancing or goofing around which i'm all for i have an 11 year old and she's on there all the time why not spend a few minutes on something that'll help make the world a better place for yourself and your children and potentially grandchildren
4: what counts as success for this in its first uh, year or two uh, engagement numbers or what what counts as success for it
3: no we have almost 40 very solid people on the advisory board already so i think getting the big names has been not very difficult so i think success and we don't have an exact number clive that's a good question i don't you know whenever i've built websites i like to see what the starting point is if we hit a thousand people on day one i want to see 1100 at the end of the first five days just growth i think if we have continued growth and we make these videos interesting, it'll it'll snowball. So I'd love it to get, you know, I'd love it to be so well known at the end of the first year that people say, oh yeah, jam. I've seen some of jam. I've, you know, you can watch sports highlights. You can see political mistakes and funny things that happen there. But I'd love people to see things where, again, it may not be that interesting to watch. A mushroom eating plastic, but I thought it was kind of weird. I'd watch that. <laughs> hopeful, you know, if you look at a whole one of those big yards where the trucks dump all the trash, like in our sizzle video, you see these children kind of wandering around looking for coins and things amid all the trash and the plastic, and think, gosh, wouldn't that be interesting if you could just have plants eating the plastic and then it goes away until people get more used to using the reusable things.
4: And and like you say, it's a it's a positive forward-looking message rather than beating the audience over the head with everything that's wrong or it it can't feel like homework right otherwise people aren't going to see yeah and I think
3: that's the tougher part in some ways, because I've been in the news business for most of my career, and people will often ask me and other people in the business, they you may run into the same thing. Well, why is it always bad? Why is the news always so negative? And I'll say, well, you know, if you drive home from work and there's a giant tractor-trailer crash, when you get home, you know, you'll probably stop, you'll probably look, and even if you're complaining at the same time about the slowness and the traffic, but we're drawn. It's a biological instinct to be drawn to aberrant behavior and, and negative. Things, but I think on the other hand, what I'd like to put up against that is the fact that when it's only dark clouds for a very long time, I think there are enough other people that want to find something else. You know, when you cover a war for seven or eight years, it doesn't mean anything to show yet another story of a of a casket of a soldier who's been killed. Of course, it's extremely meaningful and horrible, but it doesn't penetrate anyone's mind. So I think we're at a place where people have been so powered by social media, whether it's in overturning governments in, in other countries or maybe contributing to the change in government here recently, you know, it'll be new. It will actually be new to see something that's positive. So I think it's a it's a broader definition of news. You know, it, it is N-E-W, like the word spells. It's painful to watch like a penguin latching on to a piece of ice that's floating away because the ice is melting. It's not pleasant to look at oil commingled with water at the beach, um, but a lot of these things we've seen and seen and seen. And I think what's missing is what can we do about that, other than just say things are bad and we need to do something. Let's show people what is being done and what can be done, and that'll be different.
4: Well, Michael, congratulations on getting it up and running. Thank you for for sparing us some time to tell us about it today, and, and very best of luck with uh, with your first year.
0: Michael Clement talking to Clive Whittingham. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast next week. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.